So, you know, people would go out and work for 30 years, get a pension, they'd have Social Security coming in, and then maybe they buy an insurance annuity or something like that as well. That definitely isn't the newer format. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Before I jump into what I'm doing, let's check in with the co-host, Cody. Hey, what's going on, Justin? So I had a pretty good weekend this past weekend. It was nice weather. I was hanging out by the lake, and it was actually my mom's birthday yesterday. So I took her out to this nice, actually a lakeside dinner. She hadn't been out to eat in months. She hadn't been out to eat since COVID stuff all started, so she was really excited about that. And I guess we're supposed to get some crazy storm tomorrow coming up through the East Coast. So I've been preparing for that, flipping tables over, getting the chairs all ready so things don't go flying around tomorrow if we do end up having like 70 mile an hour winds. But what's going on with you, man? Yeah, so speaking of those bad storms, had a little bit of bad weather impact our plans this weekend. Since we are leaving from Boston down to Austin soon, we're trying to take advantage uh, while we are here. And so in Boston, you have the North End, famous for Italian food. We really wanted to go out there go to a place that we never got to try. It's supposed to be a beautiful day, so we took the bicycles down there. It was about six miles. It was awesome on the way down there. Great meal. And then all of a sudden, some storm rolls in on Sunday that wasn't supposed to come through. We get stuck in the rain on the way home. End up accidentally getting on the interstate. Almost died a couple times, but we made it, so all is well. And now, before we give you a little preview of the guest today, let's take a moment for our sponsor. One of the best ways to hit financial independence faster is to reduce your monthly expenses as low as possible. And one of those monthly expense charges typically is a cell phone bill. And I know a lot of people that are using these big providers get locked into these contracts, they don't shop around, and sooner or later, a few years down the road, you're paying an arm and a leg for your cell phone service. And even though shopping around for a new provider might only take a couple of minutes or something, most of us just don't do it because it's not part of our daily routine, it's not something that we think about actively. But if you do want to save money with your cell phone provider, enter Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. So kind of like an online savings bank, Mint Mobile can save on retail locations and overhead and pass those savings directly to their customers. All their plans come with unlimited talk and text. You can choose the right data plan for you. And you can use your own phone and keep your same number along with all your existing contacts. So if you're looking to cut that monthly cell phone bill down to just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, you can go to mintmobile.com slash fyshow. That's mintmobile.com slash fyshow. So the guest we have today is Grumpus Maximus, and he is our expert on pensions. So while he got his pension through the military, he's walking us through all sorts of pensions, not just military-related ones. He also goes into some of the things that he struggled with as far as how long to stay around for that pension when you're going through some hardships of your own, which he did with some mental health issues. So stick around and listen to what he's got to say. Take it away, Grumpus. I had started exploring personal finance independently of any kind of job or or health issues that I was having. But then that all kind of came to a head in about the spring of 2016 when I suffered a mental breakdown caused by PTS and the symptoms of PTS. And I wasn't sure if I, I was going to be able to stay in the military. I was an active duty military officer at the time, and I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do that from a health perspective. I just didn't know if I could continue on in the high-stress environment that is today's military. At the same time, I had to teach myself how to value my pension because I knew I had this pension coming in about three years from the time I had the breakdown is when I would have vested in my pension. 
And I needed a way to figure out whether or not it was a smart thing or a stupid thing to do to walk away from the pension and all the value that that would hold over my lifetime, as well as the healthcare. So that's how I got really involved in depth in my own kind of personal finances. I've always been a tracker of money over the years. So my wife and I and myself have always been rather frugal and have always saved money. But when it started to really make a difference and mean a lot to me was all around this time when I had this uh, mental breakdown. Definitely want to dig into those financial aspects as we go through the episode. But I got to take a moment and ask as you know, I was in the military myself. And I think that this is a good nugget for those who are in the military. Like, what would advice would you give to them for somebody who is going through some kind of mental health issue like that for what they should do, like who they should talk to? Like, because I, I think a lot of times in the military, you feel like you got to keep that stuff to yourself, whether it be a security clearance or just you're worried about not getting stratifications. What would you say to those people who actually need that help? I would say do not wait. I would say get the help earlier rather than later. And yes, you're right. There is still a stigma. The military is full of type A alpha males, right? So there's a stigma that is attached to seeking help, especially for mental injuries. If your injuries aren't physical, they're not seen, you know, you're assumed to be A-okay. I waited too long. That was my problem. I had waited, you know, three years after the events that ultimately gave me PTS to, and waited obviously for a mental breakdown to happen. And that is just not the way to do it. My one piece of advice is, you know, if you have loved ones and people around you who actually had told me, hey, like maybe you need to talk to someone over the three years between the incident and when I had the breakdown and I just kind of ignored it and kind of packed it all up in my emotional rucksack and thought I could just carry the weight of all that with me. And, and it, that just that was not a recipe for success. In fact, it was a recipe for near disaster for me. The second thing is if you can avoid having to navigate mental health issues at the same time as navigating personal finance issues, that would be also another recommendation. I, I was stuck trying to do both at the same time, and, and that was extremely um, pressing and hard. Again, I created that situation for myself. No one to blame but myself. But if I had sought the help that some people had recommended earlier in my career, I probably would have been able to avoid the worst of that drama. So GM, I know this is a common thing that so many people face in the financial independence community, whether they're military or not, they're faced with that question, should I quit my job? Like it doesn't quite feel right, but maybe I should just persist. And I know at some, there has to be some degree where it's like, okay, maybe I should stick this out for another year. This makes sense. But what, whether it's a gut intuition or an actual benchmark, like how do you actually know that it's time to hang this thing up because it's causing serious mental health issues? That is different for every person, obviously. I would say generically, you know, there's two schools. I don't know if you guys have interviewed Doug Nordman in the past, you know, military personal finance blogger, the original guy. You know, he is of the mind, hey, as soon as you're no longer happy or you're no longer, you know, getting pleasure or joy out of your job is when you need to think about the move. I counsel more caution than that, but only because what I went through. You know, I would have been walking away from millions of dollars left on the table, both in pension payments and and the healthcare that goes along with it. And many people might also be in that spot. So there's definitely like this this tipping point that all has to be judged at a personal level of, you know, how much is this pension or how much is this job worth to me versus, you know, my mental or emotional happiness. In my personal case, it was a three-year decision, right? I knew I had to gut it out for three years. Now, if that 
had happened at 10 years, the decision-making would have been different, right? That's obviously some of these things happen earlier than others in people's careers where they start questioning like, hey, is this job really for me? Am I a right fit? Can I last the 10, 15, sometimes 20 more years? You know, some pensions don't vest fully for like 30 or 35 years. So, you know, it's these are these are long amounts of time in which anything could happen during that time frame from the point where you start thinking about maybe I should walk away, but uh, this pension is kind of keeping me here because of all the, the benefit I would get in retirement out of it. Again, it's all kind of somebody's balance point, and each each person has to navigate that differently. So far, we've just been talking about the military pension systems, kind of, and your personal decision-making. And when I think about pensions, it seems fairly straightforward. Like, you're going to get X amount of money every month for the rest of your life, or at least that's the way I think about a pension. But are there different versions of pensions and some more in-the-weeds details that people should be aware of or should study up on if they have a pension plan or are thinking about a job that includes a pension plan? There are. And every pension is a little bit different. I was saying that, you know, once you study one pension, you study one pension. Now, you know, for the larger pensions on the government size, like FERS, which is the federal, you know, retirement system in the U.S., you know, that that's all the same. But you get on the private corporation side, so, you know, public traded and private private companies, they, they still offer pensions, uh, not as much as they used to, but there are still many of them that do. And then the, the state and the local level at the public side also offer pensions. And all those start to have different uh, features and different benefits that make some more valuable than others at the end of the day. Some of the main features might be health care. That's huge in the U.S., Obviously, some, sometimes pensions have health care subsidies attached to them. Another one would be, does it have a cost of living adjustment? So does it adjust for inflation? Not every pension does. You know, on the federal side, they do. You know, certainly not at the state and local level or the private side. It kind of depends on how much a company or a state government or a local government is willing to pay because those are kinds of features that get more expensive and objectively make a pension more valuable. On the flip side is the negative stuff. For instance, you know, some pension funds aren't particularly well-funded, and therefore the likelihood of the pension coming through in promised form, so at, at the amount you were, you were promised through your amount of work, may not be there at the end of the day. You know, there are some pension systems that you know, are below 50% funded current and future obligations, Certainly, that needs to weigh into somebody's decision-making process about whether or not they should stay or they should go in conjunction with all the other things that they should be considering. So I do want to take this another 10,000 feet up and because I think a lot of people just have a misconception about what a pension actually is. Like, How does a pension actually work? I don't know if you can just break it down to the most basic level possible for people who have maybe never been exposed to a pension, people have not been in the military before. That's a great question because you're right. So normally when somebody says pension, uh, traditionally that is meant defined benefit pension or defined benefit plan. So that means you work for a company, an organization, a government for a certain length of time, and then typically based on how long you worked, some average of your salary at the end of your work years, as well as some multiplication factor, they run that all through a formula. And at the end, they say, okay, hey, starting at a certain age, you're going to get this much money per month for the rest of your life. 
So that's a defined benefit plan. So it is it is defined on the back end side, which is juxtaposed with defined contribution, which the contribution upfront is defined, but what happens on the back end is all up to the worker and not up to the company or the government that employed them. So defined benefit is the old traditional way since you know 1950s and before that a lot of American companies and certainly government uh, workers have been compensated in a way to counteract some of the lower pay, especially at the government side that they might be getting in order to entice people to stay. And that's the other thing. Like, So these things are incredibly expensive, which is why corporate America has definitely been going away from them. And now state governments and local governments are as well. But they are designed to do something specific, and that's to keep a person in a job for a length of time. And there's any number of reasons why you might want to do that. Maybe it's a a highly specialized job. And therefore, when you put in the training for that person, you want to make sure they have an incentive to stick around instead of just jumping ship. Or it might just be that you can't afford to pay them a lot in a salary on an annual basis, but you can afford to set some aside each year that they would then get as a defined benefit pension once they retire. So you know, at the 10,000 foot level, that is that is when I say pensions, that is what we are referring to. And that is the majority of what people refer to when they're talking about pensions as well. So as you mentioned, you know, corporate America has gotten largely away from pensions, not to say that they're all gone. And everyone's kind of looking at pension plans and probably adjusting them some degree. The pension plan that I was a part of, you know, I was given an option to either stay under the current plan that I was under which was what you mentioned that, you know, let's look at your highest earning years. Let's take an average. You get that pretty straightforward. Or this other plan that says, hey, we're going to give you a smaller percentage, but then we're going to do some kind of like matching that you could keep. And that that money is yours, even if you don't actually earn the full pension. And when I was looking at that and kind of doing the math on it, I was thinking about that money a little differently, those two buckets of money. One of them, you know, I called like my forever money because it was money that even if I died, you know, my spouse died, like it could be generational wealth because it was truly our money and not just tied to a pension. When you're thinking about like a pension versus standard, you know, your cash investing, does that come into play? Do you think about that? Like this idea of being able to create generational wealth, which is maybe a little harder to do with a pension. It does. It manifests itself in two ways specifically with defined benefit pensions. The first is that, at least in the U.S., it is mandatory that a pension plan offers something called survivorship, which is typically related to a spouse. Now, if you have dependent children when you die, there might also be some inclusion of them as well. But for the most part, it is talking about being able to allow a spouse to continue to draw on that pension after the pension earner dies. And so then when the spouse dies, then the payments end. You do not have to take that. That is a voluntary thing that you can decline because what happens is they take insurance out of it each month, right? So let's say if you were supposed to get 500 bucks a month without the survivorship, but you take the survivorship, then maybe they're going to pay you 400 bucks a month. It's like an insurance premium, right? Now, survivorship, it could be a good deal. It could be a bad deal. A lot of it just depends on what your family situation is once again. But the other way the intergenerational issue pops up with pensions is when you get to lump sum offers. So, and this is all around the world, wherever there are defined pensions, oftentimes companies or governments will offer a lump sum in lieu of the pension or in lieu of part of the pension. And those are popular, at least in the states they are. 
I'm in a master's program of business management right now, so I've been getting to do a lot of extra research on pensions as a result of this program. One of the studies I came across said it was above 50% of people taking lump sum offers versus taking the annuity. Because what I described earlier about a defined benefit pension, how it pays you for life, that's an annuity, just like you would buy an insurance annuity. A lot of people like to take those lump sum offers, and one of the main reasons for that is because they're thinking about intergenerational wealth. So if they die and the annuity ends, obviously their kids won't be able to take the wealth that was built up in that pension with them. So some pension plans offer partial, some offer full. A lump sum offer from a pension plan, though, should always be seen as a good deal for the pension plan. It is not necessarily a good mathematical deal for the person taking the lump sum. Now, there might be other reasons driving that. Again, pension systems are underfunded, certainly not all, but some are. And so if you know an underfunded pension system is offering a lump sum, that changes the dynamic of whether or not it's a good deal for the person to take a lump sum offer. But again, that kind of all comes down to personal situation. So a question I've seen a lot come through, whether it's social media or email, is this question of people with pensions, whether it's a corporate pension, whether it's a military pension, But let's say you're three years away from getting that big payout. You're going to get that monthly recurring income from that pension. Are there any loopholes or any way you can kind of transfer like the traditional pension where I know Justin was talking about the pension where he had some of his own money in there, but then he gets the government's money at X date. Is there any way to kind of finagle or a little side door that you can use if you're, you know, feeling burnt out and you're like three years away from that big monthly pension? So, yes, there is, depending on the plan. If a pension offers partial vesting, so vesting means, hey, you've worked here long enough and contributed enough if you're in a a program that requires contributions, that you now will get some sort of payment at some point in your life. What partial vesting, just like it sounds, is they're not going to give you all all the perks and all the money that you would otherwise get if you stayed the, the full time or the complete time to fully vest. Oftentimes, that can be a good compromise. You know, some people realize about midway along their career, like, hey, maybe I can't do this 10 or 15 more years. But at that point, maybe they worked long enough to be able to have a partial vestment. And then they can go and leave with a clear conscience saying, hey, at least I'm going to get this money with me. Now, oftentimes in that situation, though, the younger the worker is, they'll, they'll typically take, take a lump sum and just invest the money themselves or roll it over to an IRA or something like that. So that is one way, like you can reach a compromise, but again, partial vestment is, is by pension system. It is, it is not universal. So it is not a requirement that you offer partial vesting, just like the military pension, which cliff vests at 20 years. And so that's the other term is cliff vesting. That means it's an all or none up to that point. And then after that point, you get the full thing. And then it's just based on how long you work and what you make at the end of your uh, career. So that's one way. The other way is that because traditional defined benefit pensions are so expensive, companies, corporations, governments have started experimenting with uh, things called hybrid pensions. So it adds some features of defined contribution along with some features of defined benefit, much like the revamped uh, blended retirement system that the military uses in order to give somebody some kind of pot of money that they're accumulating along the way that they could take with them if they go. That is mostly in a response to one, again, the expense, because these hybrids are cheaper to offer. But also, you know, you got to recognize the fact that in the modern digital age and the knowledge economy, 
that most first world countries are dealing with, you know, job portability is a big thing, right? People don't work 20, 30 years at companies anymore, get the gold watch and retire. They'll bounce to five to 10, you know, 15 companies, maybe more throughout their career. And so the traditional defined benefit pension isn't particularly well geared for that kind of workforce. I think that's a good segue because I was actually wanting to talk about that situation around cliff investing because I know I've read some stuff where you said like you disagree with this idea that as you're planning for your retirement around a pension that you should just pretend that it's not there because then you're going to just end up saving way more money than you need to. But at the same time, I would think that it's also not wise to pretend like it's a guarantee because I know there were times where I certainly thought that I was going to be there 20 years And then all of a sudden, one day I changed my mind and I wasn't. And I was really happy that I had been saving aggressively the whole time. So I guess, how do you balance that? It's a good question. I've already touched upon it earlier. Even if you have decided to stay, you might be in a situation because your pension fund is underfunded where that pension may not pay out. So it's also kind of the same dynamic where you're trying to save along the way too, because you're also saving for the fact that maybe that pension doesn't come through. Now, one reason why I started the blog and wrote the book is because I believe you can get a much better probability of what your pension situation is actually going to be and look like in retirement than the traditional advice of either just ignore it and if it's there, it's icing on top of the cake. Because I think that particularly could doom people to working longer than they would otherwise have to in order to accumulate their own personal wealth to supplement what they would be getting from the pension. So, With study, there are some valuable features as well as with study, you can then determine how safe your pension is, you know, with a certain amount of probability. And then you can come to an informed decision on whether or not that, you know, it's worth staying in that pension system. If you have high confidence based on, you know, study that your pension is going to be there, at least, you know, at some high percentage of probability. And it has, you know, features that make it more valuable, like a cost of living allowance, uh, health care, a high multiplier at the end of your work term for what they use in the formula itself to, to calculate the amount of money you're going to get each month. You know, objectively, you have a more valuable pension than some other people. And that pension could do a lot more things for you in retirement or allow you to do a lot more things in retirement than somebody otherwise who would not be getting the same kind of pension. I guess maybe to be a little more specific, what I was trying to ask is, would you recommend, though, that people would still, you know, if you got a young person, say they're joining the military, I don't think that they're nervous that the pension system's not going to be there. I think they can feel very confident it's going to be there. But the thing that they don't know is, are they going to be there? Like, are they going to actually want to stay in the military for 20 years, which is a decision that they're just not going to be able to accurately make at 18 years old or 22 years old? Because there's things that's going to happen in their life that they just don't know yet. So I guess that's kind of what I was getting at is I'm assuming you would encourage those people to still save at least for some period of time, almost as if it's not going to be there, or at least understanding that they may not be there to collect it. Yes. So you're, you're right. I do. And that is a fairly common case. You know, I'm sure since you were in during the BRS, there was that 80% number being thrown around, like, hey, 80% of people who join the military do not complete their 20-year investment period, right? So that is a high amount of attrition through that system. So I definitely would encourage people to save and invest outside of their pension plan. 
problem is, you know, when you're young, you're just not getting paid nearly as much to be able to do that. And then, you know, when you're older, you're getting paid more, then you no longer have time to let the compounding effects of return work for you. I think personally, I think 20 years is a really long time. And that's one of the shorter full vestment periods around. Like, you know, some teachers, they have like 30 or 35 year vestment periods. Same with some police and firefighters. So halfway through a career is 15 years. So you still have 15 years left on a 30-year career. Anything could happen during that time frame. I mean, any number of things. So yes, I do encourage to invest. I will say, you know, at a personal level, you know, my wife and I always saved right around 30% of our yearly income. And that was before I had discovered anything remotely doing with financial independence and really educated myself on personal finance. And a high savings rate covers a lot of mistakes is the other great part, right? And maybe some people view like getting into a pensionable job may have been a mistake for them because they weren't able to earn as much as they would have in kind of their prime working years. But if they were saving along the way, then that can definitely make up for it. So I think one of the best ways to make these decisions, GM, is just give people the most information possible, like give them as many data points as they can, let them make their own decision. So something I'm curious about is, When you have the pension disbursements, say you have $2,000 a month coming in from a pension, can you talk about some of the pros and cons between pension disbursements and things like whether it's real estate income or income from a regular W-2 job or maybe social security? Are there things that people should be considering about those actual pension dollars that maybe isn't talked about enough? Yes. You know, traditionally, we've always said, hey, that fixed income creates a floor that you will not fall down. So a lot of people who get pensions kind of view that as like, hey, if all everything else goes wrong, if all my investments go to zero or whatever, at least I'm going to still be able to put food on the table, or at least I'm still going to be able to pay my mortgage each month. And again, that is a more traditional view of what retirement look, used to look like, right? So, you know, people would go out and work for 30 years, get a pension, they'd have social security coming in, and then maybe they buy an insurance annuity or something like that as well. That definitely isn't the newer format, but it it does enable you to do do a lot of things. For instance, it's enabled my wife and myself and my family to move to a different country. And we're getting paid in U.S. dollars, by the way, and we can take advantage of the exchange rate at the same time. So there are a lot of cool and interesting things that, you know, getting monthly payments in retirement can do for you. One of the most valuable things about a pension is how quickly does it start to pay out your annuity? So, for instance, again, going back to the military, that pays out immediately, which, again, is super expensive for the provider of that pension. But it is a great feature if you're a worker who earned that pension, because if you had to wait till 65 to start collecting your pension payments, which many pension systems have that plan or have that feature that you have to wait, inflation itself could have just eaten away the value of that money over time. And it's certainly the time value of money says that money's not going to be as valuable in the future as it would have been in your pocket today. And what about tax implications? Is it treated any different from a tax perspective? It depends on where you live and it depends on what kind of pension you're getting. So at the federal level, not you know, you're still getting taxed for that money that's coming in each month. Now you can move to a state like Florida with no state income tax and certainly take advantage of it that way. Some states have it set up where if you are receiving a pension from that state as part of their state plans, there are some tax perks there as well. But every state is different in the U.S. And then certainly overseas, then you start getting into if you're getting a U.S. pension, does the U.S. have a tax treaty with the country you're thinking about living in? 
what does that tax treaty say about either double taxing, which is a situation you absolutely want to avoid, or we're not taxing it at all? So yes, how your pension is taxed in retirement is also an issue that needs to be considered. I've written, I think, two articles in the pension series on that itself. I have a whole series of of articles that I just call the pension series. So it start at one and, and read all the way up and hopefully it would educate you on all the different features of, of what makes a pension valuable and what doesn't. So I also, you know, do briefly mention it in the book as well, but not not nearly as in-depth as as those two articles on the website. And those, by the way, came from reader questions. You know, I had a reader reach out and say, hey, like you do a lot of great work on pensions. But I want to know, like, hey, what's like the most optimal way? Like, where's the place I should move that has the biggest tax benefit for me? And, you know, he was in, I think, the New York's pension state plan. So, you know, there were some issues there that he was looking at that made it more valuable to potentially stay, even though it was a high tax state. And then how does the tax implications compare between a typical pension and what you mentioned earlier, which is where someone might get offered a lump sum? So if you roll the lump sum over into a tax-advantaged uh, account like an IRA, like a traditional IRA, I would say, then you get to defer the, the tax on that like you would for any contribution in, into those plans. Now, again, this kind of goes back to every pension system being a little bit different. Some pension systems have weird rules that don't allow you to roll it over at all or roll over all of it. So Before you take a lump sum, my recommendation is definitely talk to a knowledgeable CPA, especially if you're leaning towards taking the lump sum, because you you want to do that in the most tax efficient manner as possible. Otherwise, it's just going to be one huge, you know, income lump that comes in and, you know, like one third of it's going to get taken away before it even hits your bank account, essentially. So I had thrown out that we were interviewing a pension expert tonight. And so we had some questions come in from social media. And I think this is a good time to just hit on a few of those. And so this is an interesting one. And it was, is a pension for life? So let's say I go into the military, I'm 18, I go 20 years, I get out, I'm 38 years old, and I live till I'm 120 years old. Is the military going to pay me for those 80 odd something years after I get that pension? It is, as it currently stands right now. And to be honest, there are legal protections around that agreement that would, yes, say that indeed, like it would be really hard for them to go through the courts and take that pension away. Now, if you do something against the UCMJ, you're still under the UCMJ uh, even when you're retired. So that's a, a little known fact because that pension payment acts like a continuing work agreement between you and the government. So as long as you don't do anything against the UCMJ that would necessitate them bringing you back on active duty, court-martialing you, and taking away your pension, then yes, that pension is there for life. Again, these things are expensive, especially the ones that pay out immediately upon retirement once you fully vest in the pension. Not all pensions do that. In fact, the majority of pensions do not pay out immediately upon retirement. That is just a perk of taking the dangerous job that is the military. So going off something you said there, which was around for the federal government ones, yes, they pay for life unless you do something that kind of, you know, breaks the UCMJ or some kind of federal law because you are still kind of a federal employee. I had um, someone that I worked for who wanted to get like into the cannabis industry, but they're like, well, actually I can't because I can't take in the money from the government if I am breaking a federal law. So is that something you've ever heard about where somebody actually can't get into something like even though the state they live in maybe allows marijuana use or for you to be a seller or grower, but because they are still technically under this federal umbrella, they actually can't do that. Yeah, I have a 
interesting conversation with the JAG at my last command before I retired all about that. And technically, that is right. You know, technically, again, if they are getting a federal pension and then they are getting involved in the pot growing industry, they're putting their pension at risk. That is for sure. Would they ever take the time? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I can't say that. But, you know, technically speaking, that is correct. The other thing I would say about pensions paying out for for life is on the private side, so on the, the corporate side, as well as even at the state and local level of governments, depending on where you are in the world or even in the U.S., depending on state law, some pensions come with more legal protections than others. Again, that is a reason why you should talk to a well-knowledge CPA or something like that as you're getting closer to retirement. If you have concerns that your state would step in and attempt to adjust your benefits post-retirement. So, GM, I got another question here from the interwebs and it's asking about annuities, which is definitely in the same lane as pensions or at least kind of the same structure. And it's from Artie and he asks, would it be better to take the 50, 60, 75 or 100 percent joint and survivor annuity? (laughs) Without knowing his personal situation, I couldn't answer that completely. I can just say, hey, these are the things that you should be looking at as you make that decision. So again, this is is an issue where um, some pensions are different than others. This sounds like a more modern pension, a little bit of a hybrid. You can take some in lump sum format, and then you can annuitize some. Some pensions allow you to annuitize some for a certain amount of time, and then you you get the rest as a lump sum payout. So there are all these kind of like different ins and outs depending on the pension system. But I will say just taking the annuity overall depends on things like, do you still have kids living in the house? Do you still need to pay for college? Do you have a wife? Are you married? Do you have to worry about survivorship? Do you have any other major lifetime expenses that you you haven't paid yet? And then also something like this, do you think you're going to have major medical expenses in retirement? Because in some places, your pension income is protected. So let's say you had to declare medical bankruptcy. They couldn't go after that part of your income. So not knowing a person's specific situation, I can't advise specifically. Not that I would anyways, because I'm not, you know, I'm just a guy who's read and studied a lot of pension stuff. But those are the types of things you need to take into consideration. And again, like uh, actually, here's one of my best pieces of advice is, Go and study and try and figure out how much money you need coming in that you're going to actually go and figure out how much money you're going to spend in retirement. All right. That is the first step to answering that question of should I take the lump sum? Should I take the annuity? What should I do? Because what a great thing that a pension does with that fixed income is, you know, you can line that up against a specific chunk of your retirement spending and say, oh, this pension, this annuity is going to cover 50, 75% of what I think I will be spending in retirement. And so then all you need to do is go out and accumulate the savings using, you know, a safe withdrawal rate for that other chunk. And it makes your your nest egg that you need much smaller, right? But again, some people aren't comfortable with that. Some people don't think their pension is going to stick around long enough to pay them in perpetuity. So it's different per person and per pension plan. All right. So obviously you're an expert in this field. GM pensions are your expertise. We've been talking for 45 minutes nonstop. You've answered all of our questions in stride. And I know you have a ton more information than what we talked about on this podcast with your pension series and your book, The Golden Albatross. If people want to connect and learn more about you and your content, where are some of the best places they can do that? The best place they can do it is on the website at grumpusmaximus.com. The blog's called The Golden Albatross. 
The book is also called The Golden Albatross. The book was written specifically to help people determine if staying for their pension is worth it. I give them all the tools that I use and some I've developed since I started my blogging in order to help them get to that decision. The blog does a lot more than that. We talk about mental health on the blog. We talk about, okay, now that you've decided to stay for the pension, how should you best save and get ready and how can you plan for retirement and make the most out of that pension? So the blog is kind of the place where we do more than what we did in the book. I also run a Facebook group called the Golden Albatross Golden Handcuffs. If you have a pension or you have a loved one that has a pension and you want to get involved and kind of learn more about it, it's a great way to crowdsource information. We have over a thousand members now in every single type of different pension situation that you could think of. So that's also another good place. And then I'm on Twitter and uh, Instagram under Grumpus Maximus as well. Awesome, Grumpus. And then the one thing we always make sure we ask our guests is what is your number one tangible tip for someone reaching financial independence? So I have one kind of like just generally people who are getting pensions is again, like this is nothing high speed is study your pension system, right? If you think your pension is going to be part of your financial independence plan, you should definitely study it. And the earlier you do, the better so that you're not in any surprises later on down the road when you think it's time to come and rely on that thing. The one I would specifically recommend, having been a recent retiree from the military, so for any active duty military approaching retirement, especially if you're kind of my age group where you joined the late 90s, you know, you did Afghanistan, Iraq, and, and a lot of the other places that we've been throughout the last 20 years. If you think you have health issues, take those seriously, especially as you approach your retirement. You know, work through the, the medical system to get them all cataloged because it's going to become very important when you come to do your VA claim. I took my VA claim as seriously as I took planning small missions when I was active duty military, and that paid off. Now, again, I have like a lot of legitimate both physical and mental health issues. I am not advocating to gain the system here, but if you are in the same place, the amount of money that you could be getting from the VA is almost as much as you might be getting in your pension paycheck from, from the military itself. So, and that's money that's meant to help you later in life as you, you, know, you kind of start, start to fall apart at the physical level and mental level more and more. Unfortunately, that's already started for me. Well, thanks for the honesty, man. I know it's probably really tough to talk about this stuff, especially like when Justin said, sometimes you just feel like you have to bottle everything inside of you. But let's get to something fun, which is our wild card question. This is something that I'm not prepared for. Justin is not prepared for. So Grumpus, you're definitely not prepared. But are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So something we did not talk about today, but it's a really interesting fact about you is that you moved to New Zealand. I know you mentioned you moved to a different country and New Zealand was one of my favorite places I've ever visited. It's such a beautiful country, so many different regions and so much different topography. There's mountains, there's oceans, there's so many different things there. What's the number one thing that surprised you when you moved over there? Other than coronavirus, uh, <laughs> I would say... Um, how many, like the, the wide varying amount of things that you just mentioned to do, it's even like when you actually come over here and live, there's even more on your plate to choose from. People just truly try and live an outdoor lifestyle here. So if that is your thing, it is well worth it. You know, also, it's not a heavily populated country either. So anytime you're outside of one of the two or three big cities, you're dealing with uh, smaller regional cities and towns that, you know, have great traffic. Uh, you know, good schools and, and all that stuff that many places where the population is higher, you have to have to deal with and contend with. 
Well, Grumpus, thanks again so much for coming on the show. I mean, this is a lot of like really detailed information. And even if someone doesn't have a pension, you know, maybe they have a loved one or know someone who has a pension. Maybe they're considering a profession that has one. So I know there's a lot of people getting a lot out of this. So again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, guys. I truly appreciate the time and opportunity to help people out. Well, Justin, as someone who's never had a pension, I've never had a job with a pension or a job that offered a pension or anything to do with a pension, I thought this episode was pretty interesting. And Grumpus shined a lot of light on some points I wouldn't have even thought of. We talked a lot about mental health. We talked about how you can kind of think of your pension as a floor if you do end up getting that pension in retirement, kind of how to calculate it with your FI number. But you're a little bit closer to the pension world, Justin, since you were in the military for, was it six or seven years? What do you think about the episode? Yeah, exactly. You know, I was a part of that pension program and agree with a lot of those thoughts. But the biggest thing for me, and I think most people who are in a pension type program is trying to understand whether you should stay or go. Part of it is that math discussion around, you know, my goodness, how much is this worth over my lifetime, which can depend on, hey, when does that pension kick in? Because some it's immediately as soon as you've earned it, some have age requirements tied to it. And Grumpus goes through all that. But that is really a big thing for anyone who is under one of those pension programs is going through both the numerical math and then that kind of psychological math around, can I do this for 10, 12 more years? And a lot of times in the military, you'll hear people say once they get to that 10, 12 year point, if they stay in any longer, then they might as well just stay in because they're so close to 20. That is a really lucrative pension because not only does it come with a great amount of money it starts right away, which can be as early, you know, for some as 38 years old. And it also comes with healthcare. So that's another thing that I appreciated with Grumpus going through it is we talk about the ancillary benefits of having a pension. I also liked how Grumpus said like, hey, you might have this awesome pension and you might think you go into the military, you're 18 or 22, whatever you are. You're five years in, you're like, I love this. Let's keep rocking it. I'm definitely going to stay 20. But you have no idea the person you're going to be in four, five, 10 years from that point. So it is a wise decision to start saving in these side accounts, whether you have access to a 401k or the TSP or your IRAs or just a regular taxable brokerage account, or maybe it's real estate, like whatever that other thing is for you that's not a pension, that could be a great option for you because you really never know what's going to happen. Grumpus probably didn't expect when he first went into military that he'd end up with mental health issues and he'd be suffering from PTS, but it is the reality of being in the military, being in some of these dangerous situations or situations where it's just like really grueling and taxing and you're under a ton of stress. So always have a backup plan. I think that was something that Grumpus talked about a lot. Always know all of your different options and keep as many options available to you as possible. Yet another thing that he brought up when we were talking about you know, how much you should kind of be saving on the side on top of that pension, how much you can really rely on that pension is doing your homework. Like, what is that pension backed by? How well funded is it? Because some pensions are not fully funded right now. Some of them are in a little bit more dangerous situations where you don't have as much of a guarantee that that pension will actually be there when you come to retirement age. Now, I think most people feel like if you're in a federal program, you're pretty safe there. But there are definitely some programs who either by mismanagement or some of them, unfortunately, have been taken advantage of by some money managers. I mean, there's a lot of you know famous things out there where people have swindled money. But doing that research and just seeing how well funded is your program, that can probably help you decide like how aggressive you need to be because there is a little bit of a balance there. If you go really far with the extra savings on the side. You could be doing a little bit of overkill, maybe living life a little less than what you could, knowing that that pension is coming. On the other hand, if you rely purely 
on that pension, you could be setting yourself up for failure because as you said, Cody, you have no idea where you're going to be in a few years. Things could always happen and it would be terrible to focus your entire life and all your strategy around this one decision point, which is like, yeah, I can do this for another 15 more years. I mean, what were you doing 15 years ago? You know, if you're listening to this, did you have any idea you'd be where you are now? I really doubt it. Another thing that was important that Grump has touched on was thinking about the survivorship stuff. Like there's the take all of it in one lump sum. There was the 50% and you can kind of keep the rest as the regular annuity payments. And obviously it depends on your situation. But I mean, I didn't know that there was all these caveats to pensions. I kind of thought pensions was just like, you know, you get $3,000 a month for the rest of your life, one and done. That's it. I didn't know that you could take like 40% or 75% and then your spouse could take some and it might be a good tax move because it's a really easy way to pass wealth without some huge income tax. So definitely, what was the phrase he said, Justin? It was like, know your pension. He kept saying that over and over again, like just do the research, figure out what works for you because there are so many different types of pensions, whether it's a corporate pension, whether it's a military pension, they all work and function differently, which does kind of stink, but People like us in the FI community, we are nerds. We like digging into this type of stuff. And you can seriously probably come out 10 or hundreds of thousands of dollars ahead if you do the research beforehand, before you go and make a rash decision or quit a job or you stay in a job too long. Whatever the decision might be, just make it with all the information you can possibly have. And on that same thread, the last thing I'd like to say is we fully understand that maybe a lot of listeners are not under a pension program. But it should still get those same thoughts going. Like, do I understand all the benefits with my work? Do I understand my 401k program? Is something like a mega backdoor Roth an option for me? Like all these things around your benefits, while you may not be under a pension program, you are under some kind of program. And so do that research. Maybe this is something that can kind of urge you along for that. And now it's time for the call to action. Alrighty, Justin, when you made the call to action pretty easy for us this week, some of the stuff you just talked about is if you're someone with a pension or someone who's thinking about going into a job with a pension, go and do that pension research. If you are neither of those people that I just described before, send this to someone who you know who does have a pension. Maybe they're in the military. Maybe they're in one of these larger companies that's been around forever that still has a pension kicking around. And this stuff is really important. Like we just mentioned, you could be saving tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars down the road if you completely understand all the survivorship benefits, the distributions, and everything around your pension. Know your pension, as Grump has said. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode and want to get into a little more details and have those show notes available, you can find those over at thefyshow.com slash pension. That's thefyshow.com slash pension. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.